Welcome to another edition of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan and I'm joined by my co-host Mickey Turner of Sounder at Heart, The Athletic, and Soccer ESQ, and of course Ari Lillianwall. I'm going for it every week. You're going for it every week of MLS soccer. You're two for your last two. Exactly. Uh, MLS Soccer and Sounders FC and uh, of Twitter fame, most importantly, Ari <laughs> and Mickey. Thank you for joining us on the podcast once again. Uh, it is the day after the Sounders end of season press conference, which very well might be the last bit of big news that we get for the next few weeks. And so we wanted to talk about that event and some of the announcements that that just got made a bunch of signings a bunch of there's been some uh not i don't think hugely surprising movement uh but let's go ahead and start with the i guess the if there was a surprise we'll start there the expansion draft was held on tuesday right tuesday or wednesday it was tuesday thank you all right so the expansion draft was on tuesday and brian meredith i don't think any of us saw that coming (laughs) Nope. got selected uh what did you all make of of that and does it feel like all things considered a pretty good bit of business for the sounders uh yeah i would say it was a fantastic bit of business uh, from the sounders uh you know meredith is obviously a you know if not beloved a well-liked figure in uh the sounders community uh the front office and the team loved him Obviously, he was, uh, you know, out there on, you know, some uh, social issues uh, important to the Sounders uh, community as well. So very well-liked guy. Did not play much at all for the Sounders because obviously you have uh, one of the best goalkeepers in North America and Stephen Fry, uh, you know, manning the pipes for the team. So he wasn't ever going to play unless there was an injury or schedule congestion, which is something we can probably talk about later. So uh, that said, it was still, I think, very surprising that he was uh, taken by uh, Inter Miami. Uh, you know, it's you know, it's tough to find you know quality goalkeepers for modest prices uh, that fit within MLS budget. So maybe they saw him as even if not a starter, as a potential backup, which is something that uh, you, every team's going to need. Um, and for the Sounders' point of view. They have to be happy they did not lose a, pl- a key player um, of the ones that were on the list. We can argue whether there were many key players that uh, they were at risk of losing at all. Um, and uh, assuming the rules stay the same, uh, they are now exempt from the 2021 ex- or 2020 expansion draft for the 2021 season. Um, and they got 50K of GAM. So all things considered, you have to think that they're uh, pretty happy with uh, how things turned out, even if they lost a, a well-liked player. Yeah, I think it just shows that if you're the number two goalkeeper on the Sounders uh you just got to watch out when it comes to the expansion draft because uh Tyler Miller you know he was stuff rise back up before he got taken by LFC in that expansion draft so uh you know maybe we should have seen it coming uh considering that I don't know it's it's the second time it's happened so I think it's the start of a trend um but I I think they're from the sound of it they're probably gonna bring in another similar type veteran to fill that role for next year and have Trey Muse apply his trade for another year in Tacoma because they really want to get him minutes. I don't think, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think this means Trey Muse is the uh, going to be the regular number two for the first team next year. Um, they're going to have to sign somebody and uh, whoever that is, uh, get ready to uh, head off to uh, Sacramento Republic when they're picking uh, <laughs> the year after uh 
So Austin's picking next year, right? And then that's right. Know, you got Sacramento the next year after that. So whoever they're signing, um, and St. Louis, scope out some uh, some places to live in Sacramento and all that, and uh, figure that out because that's probably where you're headed next. Yeah, it was it was an interesting uh, conversation that was started yesterday when when it sounded like the Sounders were a little caught off guard. I suspect that on some level this was bringing Tommy Dutra's expertise into the expansion team. Like, Hey, if this guy was learning from Tommy Dutra, maybe he can help us. I think that's uh, why it keeps happening. (laughs) Yeah. I think that that's, that's probably true. Tyler Miller was also available in this draft, oddly enough, and Mm -hmm. did not get taken. Uh, And I, maybe that was just simply because Lee Wynn was more attractive and he was the LAFC player that got taken off the board. But I, I would have thought Tyler Miller would have been, like to me, one of the top guys. If I'm building an expansion team and I can build, pick a Tyler Miller, uh, who has just come off. I think he set the record for most wins in a season last year, and he was pretty solid. I know that there was some grumbling that he wasn't quite as good as LAFC wanted, but I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much more you can ask for. I mean, he's a young, a relatively young goalkeeper who is in the national team pool. And I know he's due a big raise, and that's probably part of what scared people off. But uh, Brian Meredith, sure enough, is the, is the, is the former sounder, now the, now the former sounder that uh, just got taken. I'm, and, and this, but I guess what I was, I was getting to is the sounders did seem to be pretty clear about their intent to go out and get a veteran backup and that they weren't quite ready to hand that off to Trey Muse. And... And that makes sense. I mean, he wasn't going to – like, I don't think just because Trey Muse would have been the number two doesn't necessarily mean he would have been starting a bunch of games for the Sounders anyway. Uh, and either way, he was probably going to get most of his time with Defiance. But, you know, you kind of want to have that veteran player who can step in and not disrupt his kind of rhythm playing for the lower team. Yeah, and, what I would say is um... – that as uh, going back to Tyler Miller, I think he's also out of contract, and it yes. sounds like he may want to head back over to Europe, which also may have scared uh, some teams off. But uh, as to Trey, it sounds like uh, reading between the lines um, and what they <clears throat> excuse me what they said directly is they don't think he's ready to have significant minutes yeah. with the first team, and they would rather have him down at Defiance, getting you know twenty five to thirty games, um, and you know. With the Sounders uh, winning MLS Cup, they're going to be playing in more games. They got uh, Campeones Cup and uh, the CCL, and then obviously uh, uh, Open Cup. And so they're going to be playing. I think Gar said they're estimated to be around 45 games next year, and it's unlikely that Fry starts all of them. Um, and so for those games, they would prefer to have uh, another Brian Meredith type player to you know to be able to start you know four to four to eight games next year. And, you know, I spoke with some Sounders people a little while ago about Muse's progression, and they were obviously happy with what he did towards the end of the year. But the beginning of the year, middle of the year, he really struggled for defiance, you know, for one reason or another. He just had a very rough start to the year. And so I think they just want to see, much like the defiance themselves, they're encouraged by what they saw at the end of the year, but they want to take a more conservative approach to muse generally in the defiance, you know, um, you know, as well. So I think that's kind of their thinking on, uh, on muse at this point. I just don't think they think he is ready at this point. 
Yeah, you know, he, he struggled a lot, especially early on with his distribution. And you're inclined as an, as an observer to think like, well, if you, can shot, if you can stop shots, isn't the distribution part of it kind of secondary? But what you see, especially when you saw early on at the USL level, and you would certainly see it at the MLS level, is if a goalkeeper can't reliably complete passes out of the back, that creates a lot of problems. And, and it's one of those things where it doesn't necessarily get exasperated on a, on a minute by minute basis at the MLS level, because MLS goalkeepers have shown they can kind of figure it out. But as soon as it's clear that a goalkeeper is not comfortable with the ball at his feet, all of a sudden he starts finding himself in a lot of dangerous situations. And that's what we saw early on. It uses his time in the USL. And, and so I think the centers are understandably wanting to take it a little bit slower not trying to, to force his hand. You know, one of the players, though, that is going to be available is another former sounder, Charlie Lyon. Uh, he was picked, actually, I think in the same draft as Tyler Miller. And he, at one point, was actually the preferred keeper at S2 over Tyler Miller. That didn't last very long. Uh, but uh, Charlie Lyon's been kind of uh, bumming around the league for a while. He was the LAFC backup last year. Uh, I don't know that that's the player. I don't have any reason to believe other than I know at one point Tommy Ducha was reasonably high on, on Lions potential, but is there any other players that are kind of out there that you see as potential uh, pickups for the, for the Sounders as a backup? Not, not yeah, really. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, it is after all the backup position. Um, and so I think they're just going to be focused on finding a veteran who can, uh, you know, train well, get a few starts and, you know, uh, just can learn the Sounders system. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, you couldn't, uh, I couldn't guess on who they would right. go after. It's just, it'll be know. a, it'll be a Troy Perkins equivalent. That's uh, yeah. That, and that was a player that I feel like they, well, they, they may have even mentioned him by name in the, uh, yesterday as a kind of model type of player. Uh, one, I'll, I'll just throw another name out there though. Uh, Spencer Ritchie who is a Seattle native. I don't think he actually came through the, I think he came through Crossfire uh, and didn't actually spend time with the Sounders, but he was a, he did go to UW. Uh, he has been at FC Cincinnati. He hasn't been playing a, t- playing a ton. Well, no, I take it back. He got 19 starts last year. Yeah. Um, and he was a trade. He, I saw he was on trial at Crystal Palace. I don't know if anything came of that or. Yeah. But it would be an interesting. It would be an interesting target. It's a. Um, it's a. It's a good shout because uh, he did go to UW and he. Uh, he also went to Roosevelt High School near my house here, uh, so he's a, he is a local guy. But uh, I feel like Spencer Ritchie, if he's coming back to MLS, he's probably going to want to try and see if he can find somewhere to start. That's the whole thing. That's my thought. Anyone who anyone who comes here is knows that they're not going to be playing a whole lot for the first team. So. Right. And I, I wonder how that affects what kind of what they're looking for, because when they brought Brian Meredith back, it was very clearly to be a backup. Uh, he was a known quantity. And, you know, and I guess those are also kind of goalkeepers that are a little bit harder to identify. Like, who might they go after? But um, in any case, it'll be interesting. That's, that, I would say that's one of the positions they almost certainly have to fill. But kind of going through the roster, and, and this is one of the things I asked Garth about, is you've got one center back now yes. on the signed. Uh, they declined the options on both uh, Roman Torres. Well, they declined the option on Roman Torres 
and Jonathan Campbell, which was less surprising. But they also uh, are currently out of contract with Kim Kehe. And I think a lot of people have assumed that they're going to have to go to the outside. But I don't know. It seemed to me that at, that one of Torres or Kim is maybe even likely to be back. That's kind of my thought, too, is that they're not going to get rid of um, both of them. And both of them, I think, certainly have something to offer the Sounders, especially Kim, obviously, being younger. But, uh, you know, Torres you know, is scheduled to make, at least on his old contract, over $700,000. And I think they just weren't willing to pay that um, rate for him. Um, Kim, I think he made a little less, but... You know, there's been rumblings that he has options to go uh, overseas to make a lot of money in the Middle East or something like that. Um, so that may be something he wants to do. Um, I'm not I'm not sure which one is more likely to return. I don't know what you guys think about that. I think it's, you know, 50-50 um, as to which one comes back. But I would agree that it's unlikely that both come back. Uh, but it's, it's going to be an interesting one. But it's not surprising that they draw, um, they did not pick up Torres's option that was kind of you know the writing was on the wall on that one from my perspective yeah, it's it's really hard to say and it will be interesting to see because like you said I think we've we've all been hearing the same things as far as um Kim maybe having some options where I mean if I'm remembering correctly I heard he could like double or triple his salary or something and so I don't know that that kind of tends to make me think it's uh less likely he'll be back just because when you're talking about that much of a jump potentially in salary uh usually the guy is going to take that and then and the sounders can't match that the sounders can't match that and with torres uh i heard kind of similar stuff that he has multiple suitors in colombia that you have to imagine would be willing to kind of price the sounders out there but then it also seems like he would really rather stay just on a yeah. personal level, but when you're talking about uh, a big pay, potential pay increase for him too, um, he he might be taking that. So uh, I'm a little more skeptical I, that Torres is getting offered a raise to go to Colombia. I think the yeah. money in Colombia is probably considerably less than he's being even like even at a discount from what he's making now would probably still be more than even what the he bigger did. even if it's one of the bigger clubs that like I don't think really it wants him. I, I think mean, I Millionarios is the only one that is really in for him. Um, I think it's pretty clear they are, but there's no indication that they're going to be able to pay him $700,000. For a 34-year-old who yeah. – I mean, don't get me wrong. they like National team icon. Yeah. In Panama. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, My country's mixed up there. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, I don't know. Torres can certainly go, but at least hearing kind of some of the more – on background kind of talk, it seemed like it's is this is really more of a is he willing to swallow his pride a little bit? Not so much. Yeah. It's like is he going to take even less money to go to Columbia just to kind of prove a point that he didn't have to come back here? So I don't know. It will be interesting. I think at least for next year, I think Torres is maybe a little bit more natural of a pairing with Ariaga, who clearly is the center back that they're going to be building around. And I would think either way, they're going to have to bring in some other center backs, uh, even if it's John Can Johnny Campbell kind of role where it's someone to kind of fill out the roster and just kind of make emergency starts. But as of right now, they're losing Saad Abdul-Salam, who played some center back for him. They're losing Jonathan Campbell. 
they don't have Kim Kihi. They don't have Rom. I mean, they're going to have to bring in some bodies regardless of if one or two of those guys come back. Uh, and, it, and, it, and I guess it wasn't as surprising that, uh, that – and we, we kind of had heard this, that Gustav Sensen was coming back. But the way that the Sounders told it was the only reason that they ever thought that he might not be coming back was because he had kind of made it known that after 2019, his intention was to go to Sweden. But it sounds like maybe his family had gotten more settled here. And yeah. he was obviously playing at a very high level. I mean, he was, to me, the man of the match in MLS Cup. Uh, so it sounded like the Sounders it was an easy decision for them to basically pick up his option once they knew he wanted to be here. Yeah, and he can play. Uh, he can play some center back too, but I don't think they really want to rely on him to do that. He doesn't really. He seems to vastly prefer uh, playing in the midfield. So I don't. I don't. I wouldn't think that he's like a huge contingency plan at center back. But it it was a big, uh, a big uh, story that he got brought back because, like you said, I I think most of us and from what Garth Lagerwey said yesterday, uh, the team thought too that he was on his way out, but. Uh, he wanted to stay. And so, I mean, I think that he, like you said, he was, could have been man of the uh, MVP in MLS cup. And he really in the last part of the regular season and all through the playoffs uh, was pretty lights out. And it's not, you know, he's a little older. He's going to be 33 next year, I think, but he seems like he has the type of game that ages well in the sense that it's not like he's super reliant on like explosiveness or athleticism, yeah. more of a, technical type player that uh can probably play into his 30s at this level a little bit so I think that that was definitely good news for the Sounders that he ended up wanting to come back and and they ended up bringing it back yeah it's uh good news all the way around uh again we're only talking about an additional year it seems like at this point although you know who knows how he plays if he plays another great year then maybe they bring him back one more but at this point uh even though he is getting up there as you say you know speed and explosiveness isn't really his forte um there's more positioning um and you know distribution and things like that but he can still he can get stuck in don't get me wrong um so uh good news all the way around um and uh, they'll certainly need him for CCL yeah, and I guess one of the one of the kind of more interesting sub uh, plots of this whole end of year meeting was Emmanuel Sacchini, who I think the yeah. Sounders brought in with the idea of potentially being the long term replacement for theoretically Osvaldo Alonso, but even Gustav Svensson. <laughs> who knows which position actually? Right. Does. Yeah, and who know? I mean, and it, but it it just didn't seem like he was ever like when we saw him. The way he plays is just not how the Sounders use their number six. If anything, he's playing like a more of a kind of number eight, almost like a 10 hybrid where he wants yep. to be farther up the field. And he was kind of a, you know, he, he, he's a good, he, he could get into tackles and stuff like that, but he's got a little bit more of an aggressive style than you normally would. He's definitely not a shield for the center back. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I thought that, that, that Brian Schmetzer tried to, you know, provide some reasonable cover of like, yeah, he came in at a, at a tough time. We were going through all this change, da 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 da. But at the end of the day, he hardly played. And the way the Sounders were talking about it was, they don't really see a future for him at the team. I mean, maybe he comes like, who knows how it works out? But you had a story today, and I thought it was very fair. The chances of it, if he's back here, it's not because that's the plan. Yeah, no, I. this was the most telling moment of the press conference for me on that when Garth Lagerwey was talking about 
Uh, well, we feel pretty good about where we're at uh, in the defensive midfield right now. We got Gustav coming back. We got a stud in Christian Roldan, and we got Danny Leva. And he right. doesn't even mention the the Tam guy that they just spent a bunch of money on to bring in at that position who just never even played when he got here. So I honestly think you can read into that a little bit because, I mean, if think about it, if if they were planning on him to be a part of the, of the future and of the team next season, you say, oh, we feel pretty good about where we're at in defensive midfield. You name the same guys and you also go, and we have this really talented Tam guy who, like, didn't break in because of the timing, but, you know, we still think that we're going to yeah. be using him because he's going to have a whole lot. You would say all that, and they said none of that. Right. So, I, yeah. like, that just makes me think there's pretty much no way he's on the team next year because if they were planning on that, I, wouldn't, wouldn't they have said anything kind of resembling that? Well, you know, and they not, yeah. not conspicuously left his name out when you're going over the guys at the position. Yeah, it was pretty clear at that press conference that they do not see a future for him. They talked about him basically in the past tense when yeah. they talked about him at all. Uh, and it just goes back to, and we could probably get into this a little bit about, you know, the reasons they brought him in, where they saw him fitting into the team based on uh, granted what limited, you know, information and video we had, it wasn't, that he was going to come in as a six to kind of pair with Gustav, um, you know, break up plays, destroy and all that good stuff. Um, so he was, you know, as, as Jeremiah, you said, he was, you know, an eight, maybe a 10. And he kind of showed splashes of that when he did get to play, but uh, that wasn't, that's not really a position where they had a need. So right. my, my question, you know, to them, you know, if he, if he does end up moving on is, is, is what they kind of saw in him. Uh, where they saw him fitting in because it didn't seem like he really had any position. He kind of reminds me of Danny Leva and why are you going to, why are you going to block Leva's progress for Satini? who's you know, making 10, what, 10 to 12 X uh, what Leva is. Um, and so it was just, yeah, I think it, it is fair to say that he wasn't the right fit um, because it was it, tough to see where he fit in to start with. Yeah. And they haven't really provide, I guess they haven't maybe been directly asked that either but like my assumption is that they saw him as like a high upside gamble where maybe he is you know someone that you can pair with a christian roldan who can maybe like maybe roldan can sit deeper and this guy is a little bit freer to roam but that also doesn't seem to be christian roldan's role so yeah i I agree with you i don't know what the vision for it was i mean he's got a toolbox of interesting skills yeah but they just don't seem to have a clear place, at least in the system that that uh, that Brian Schmetzer is trying to run. And I would say, you know, and, and like one of the other things that I thought was another damning thing was they were talking about like, well, what, what targets do you have? Like, what positions are you targeting? Yeah, off season, and they said defensive midfielder was the only was like the main position that they were talking about. Right. As- so they're gonna. Uh- keep him on the team, but then also sign another one. Right. <laughs> That's basically saying that he's not going to be on the team. Right. I mean, they, it's a very, the most, the best case scenario, I think, is that for like that they see for him is that maybe they can't find a good place for him in the off season. He comes back and he surprises some people, but they like, they seem to like Jordy Dellum better than him. And Jordy Dellum's making seventy five yeah. grand. Uh, this guy is going to be on, you know, counting more than a million dollars. I mean, I, 
on, on some level, I'm, I'm very reluctant to beat them up too much over this, though, because they did obviously manage to win MLS Cup yes. regardless of being able to fill that position. And I suppose that if there's something to be said about the Sounders' willingness to – or something positive to be said is that the Sounders have shown a willingness to not chase uh, bad money with good, essentially. They don't double down. They, they haven't been – you know, they've been willing to take their losses – on player acquisition where they, you know, like even in a player like a Magnus Wolvikram, who was clearly a talented player who clearly had some upside. He just wasn't fitting what they were trying to do. And they, they got rid of him basically at the first uh, chance to do that. And it seems to be a similar situation as that, where they brought this guy in, they had hopes that he would be something that he's not. And they said, I feel like they were saying the same thing about Magnus Wolvikram. Now that I think about it. Very similar situation. Like, Oh, he's, he's doing everything we're asking. It's just not quite, the right fit or whatever. And uh, the funny thing about uh, Wolf Eichram, uh, right before they cut him, uh, the Saunders kind of did the tried and true thing that let you know that he was on his way out, had him training with like the Defiance and the Academy kids towards the end. Right. And so that's when you knew that he was, he was done. Uh, obviously that didn't happen with Ciccini, although if he does come back because they can't find uh, <laughs> a suitor for him in the off season, then if you see him training with uh, the Academy and Defiance in 2020, you're going to know that, things are not working out pretty well. So um, I'm with you, though, uh, just overall, in that I'm, I haven't felt the need really to beat them up over this, you know, what, we'll call it a failed signing uh, until, until something changes. Um, as you say, they have been willing to, you know, to cut bait uh, and, you know, fold a hand if, if it just uh, is not working out. So, and it's not like this was a full DP signing where right. they now have two or three years where they have to either try to make this work, find another player, or just eat eat the cost of the contract. Um, and so it's it, you know given their results this year, uh, especially at the end, obviously it's tough to really complain too much. But you know this is I think it can be fair to say is a signing that didn't work out, and you can certainly it's certainly fair to criticize them uh, about it. It just it, you know you just have to kind of keep it in perspective. Yeah, you just you don't, you don't hit on every single one of these. You just don't. Right. And I think that it, it's not that you even necessarily expect or can even reasonably want them to hit on every single signing. It's how they react to those misses. Yeah. And are they able to, you know, move forward? Do they get painted into corners? And they've done a good job of not allowing themselves to be in those situations. Um, and, I, and I suppose one other scenario is that they could potentially, they aren't able to find someone to take him at his full number. I suppose they could buy him out next offseason and basically just find someone to take him for virtually free while they're paying his salary and it's you know coming out of their ledger but it's not counting against their salary cap yeah and that's a yeah that's an interesting kind of uh, maneuver uh, uh, most people know who listen to this that you can buy out one contract um every year uh this isn't a contract it's a loan so the sounders don't own his rights outright or the right. MLS doesn't own his rights outright. But they're on the hook for his salary, I suppose. Yeah. So I'm curious if that has ever been exercised on a loan. Yeah. That is a question that would be uh interesting to put to uh the Sounders and or MLS and I think I will. Yeah, there you go. There is your next uh your next uh contract law story. <laughs> exactly. Um but that leads us into this. They they weren't really, you know, the other big hole that I think all of us can see on this roster is, you know, we can maybe see them filling center backs with players who like one of Kim or Torres. And I think they're pretty well set at defensive midfielder, but Victor Rodriguez's departure, and they gave really no indication that they expect him back. I mean, they said, 
yeah, I think he's pretty clearly gone. But that does leave a pretty big hole on the on the roster. And even like they were talking about moving Christian Roldan into that spot in the short term, but that just doesn't nah. strike it. I mean, what where do you what do you think ends up happening there? I kind of I, I don't know. I have differing schools of thought on this because whenever they've moved Christian up the field to that wing spot, he's played really well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's produced too. Like they they were doing that a lot in 2018 and he ended up with, I think like four goals, nine assists or so, something like that, which when you take into account the amount of minutes that he played there is that's pretty good output. That's like winger output. That's not, that's not like a stat line you would normally expect from your D mid. So he's shown that he can do it and put up pretty good numbers while doing it. But I, ju- I just think ultimately, if you're doing that regularly, um, you're, you're taking him out of his position with his highest upside and where he's kind of yeah. established himself as such a good player. And so, you know, I, I mean, if they want to go into uh, next season with him as the stopgap there, and then, you know, Logway likes to sign guys in the, in the next window traditionally – but I, I don't know. I also think if you have any chance at making a CCL run, you probably need a DP like winger there uh, who, who or at you, least who a think high can... upside player like a Victor Rodriguez. Right, exactly. Like Victor Rodriguez would have been really handy for CCO, honestly. But I don't know. I, it just makes me think that they're going to have to sign a DP there in this offseason because. I don't think uh, the rolled on stopgap idea, like, you know, it could, it could function, but I don't know. I just think if they're doing that in CCL that I, I have a hard time thinking that they're going to go super far just because that you're playing a guy, uh, a position that he hasn't really played as much and he can, and he can do it, but that's not his best position. I'm, I'm in a little, I guess I'm in the minority a little bit. I like him. At that position, I think he brings a lot, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. He can get forward. As you said, he's he's put up numbers there. And I'm not 100% convinced that, you know, I, I don't think he's a six um, in traditional terms. Now, whether the Sounders are utilizing a six in their current, you know, um, construction of the roster is another issue. But I, I kind of like him at that position. And it would allow them to really go in and get a true six destroyer um, to play alongside Svensson. So, you know, just for me, I don't necessarily mind him there, but I understand the counter argument that's being raised that it may not be his best position. Uh, but I, I personally don't mind that if they go, again, this is all dependent on them bringing in somebody else at one of those two spots. Either you will go get a high premium defensive midfielder or you replay, or you leave Roldan and Svensson as a pairing and bring in a, a high level winger. I'm not sure, you know, again, it goes against what they've typically done to bring in a DP in the early part of the winter window. They've obviously done it at points. Um, Oba came in, uh, obviously, in I think it was uh, late late April or so, uh, uh, late March. So they, they have done it, but that's obviously well past uh, CCL, or at least uh, the beginning parts of CCL. So uh, as we were talking about offline, there are a couple of intriguing MLS options um, that could be yeah. uh, brought in who were waived by uh, their various teams. Justin Miram uh, from Atlanta United, who I've always liked his game. Um, 
he, uh, as Jeremiah were, were, and I were talking about, he does make a lot of money. So it's not something they would probably bring in at his current salary. But if they can get him in the second phase of the reentry draft and renegotiate that uh, down to a more reasonable number, he'd be a great uh, fit, I think. Uh, for the Sounders, but so there are some options in house or in league yeah. that may be something that may be worth uh, uh, figuring out. But I think you're right; they do need someone at one of those two spots if they're going, depending on what they're going to do with Roldan, uh, well, to bring him uh, to you know to compete at us in the CCL. And I don't, I don't hate the idea of of Christian Roldan playing as a at least as a stopgap as a right mid, especially if you're. Three main attackers are still Nico Ladero, Raul Ruiz Diaz, and Jordan Morris. I think you can kind of still can, a strong front four. Yeah, it's a strong. Yeah, it's a pretty strong front four, and I think it gives it some defensive balance as well, and it allows you to play maybe a more aggressive player. Uh, like I don't think you want to see Delam and Svensson necessarily next to each other in that setup, but like that might be a little too defensive. But I, I could see it working. Um, but another player that I know the Sounders have at in the past looked at, and who I I assume still really would like to come play here is Kellen Rowe. And he's now a couple years removed from his last really productive year, but he also hasn't had a ton of opportunity. He's another player who I suppose they might be able to bring in as a, as a sort of stopgap. He's going to be a free agent or he is maybe, I guess he's technically not a free agent yet, but he will be a free agent. He, um, he was coming, he's coming from uh, Kansas city, right? Well, he's, or last, mostly, he got traded to RSL and he hardly okay. played there, but he was at KC. He started the year at KC last year. Yeah. Um, I, I was just trying to figure out where his last team was and if they've made roster announcements yet. Cause uh, yeah, I haven't been, when, I don't think it's been clarified if he is actually a free agent. Maybe, you know, you know that specifically. Well, almost positive. He will be a free agent, assuming he doesn't have a contract option to be exercised. Yes. Okay. Um, I know he'll, he'll be eligible for free agency. I don't okay. know if he actually will be a free agent. That's a very, that's a good point. Uh, but it, you know, so there's a few players out there. Um, you know, I know someone else that the Sounders have kind of looked at is Perry Kitchen. He would definitely not be a a uh, outside mid. He would be much more someone that you would plop into the middle. Um, but he's been – he's another player who's been very expensive and seems to be a few years removed from his, you know, top-end output. I think the league has kind of passed him by. He's one of those That's players. Awesome. Uh, when he was at his peak, the league was in a different place, and then he went abroad and came back – to LA and it was just like okay he's just kind of your a replacement level MLS player yeah. rather than an elite one so I can't imagine they like $600,000 a year yeah I can't imagine they would sign him for anything uh, approaching what he thinks no. his value is yeah I have, a, I have a hard time imagining that they would like move Christian Roldan up the field permanently and then spend a bunch of money on a curry kitchen yeah that's a good point. Uh, I mean, or just like in, in general. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they've spent so much time developing him as this deeper lying defensive midfielder. And I get that. I don't know. I get that he can play on the wing there and he can do it well. Uh, but I, I don't know. I just think it, to, to shift course with him like that um, at this point in his career, no matter how, how competent you think he is at, at that position, that would, that would surprise me. I think they're going to sign a, a DP winger, but I don't know. At this point, I feel like it's like 50-50 if they're going to do that in, in this window or the next one. And uh, I like maybe, maybe Champions League has, a, has an effect on that because Garth Lagerwey always talks about how much he wants to make a run at that. And uh, 
You know, I don't, I, I don't know. Could, could, uh, could a lineup that has Roldan, Morris, Ladero, Ruiz Diaz as your front four make a, make a deep CCL run? Maybe, I don't know. It's a hard, but it's a really, really hard competition to win. And I think if, I think if you're really serious about winning it, you try and get this DP before, before you start playing it. Well, and that's, that was kind of bringing me to my next subject is there was a lot of talk about Champions League got mentioned a lot during that press conference. And I think they were saying all the right things as far as how important it is. Clearly, Lagerway looks at it as a more than maybe a feather. Like I called it his, his white whale is what I called it in a story recently. And how this is something that he's talked about basically since he got here. He was, I think he kind of got a taste of that when he was at RSL and he definitely. And, right, and they they went into this the home leg of the of the final against Monterey, and I want to say they were tied. They were tied. They, the, yeah, they went down to Monterey and tied two two. So they right, were leading they, going into that uh, right, home leg. PKs, right? No, they lost. I think they just lost in regulation. Yeah, they lost one nothing. Oh, I'm thinking of them last game. Yeah, okay. Umberto Suazo with the uh, goal in in that one. I just remember that because I I watched that game. So yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. And yeah, and so he he clearly wants to win it, but I don't know. I think they were they're also sending sort of mixed signals in terms of their actual personnel moves, uh, because I think you're right. If they're really that serious about winning Champions League, why wouldn't you go all out and try to bring in some sort of difference maker while you have the opportunity during this this window? And then they also, and I suppose you could also argue that you know they're. They're, the options that they're turning down or not exercising maybe don't say we're super serious about winning immediately. But I also think that's sort of slow playing. Like that's just negotiating tactics. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's, that's part negotiations. And I would say that with respect to Rodriguez, I, I don't think he ever intended to come back um, due to, you know, the family issues, which have been uh, alluded to. Um, and other issues, and the fact that his, you know, his, uh, you know, his health uh, on the field health uh, was so spotty, and they weren't ever going to exercise that option. So, if that's the case, then they should have been preparing for this right. for quite some time, for at least a year, since you know, since he's, you know, obviously came back this this past year. But uh, if if he let them know that uh, he wasn't going to return, and I, I suspect they, he did. They've known about that for a while, and so they should have been preparing for his replacement. So in theory, this isn't something that was dropped on them at the end of September or early October um, as far as him not wanting to come back. So they should have been looking a window ahead to find a replacement. Now, again, that's balanced up against their kind of philosophy of not signing these big uh, money players until the summer window, but... Again, if, as you say, if they're going for CCL, then you would think that that's uh, you know something they need to replace because they're they're probably a little short on talent and depth at this point to really make a full go of it at CCL. So um, you know you know accepting the center back situation, which we will presume that they will get resolved um, if they're they if they're wanting to get another high end talent in there um, to uh, compete with CCL, they've, they've obviously got to do that quickly. Yeah, I just think, I mean, the thing they need to look at here is, uh, I mean, think about how good the team looked when Victor Rodriguez was healthy and playing at the beginning. Mm -hmm. They were lighting it up, like, at LAFC-type pace. Um, 
And so when, when you're trying to actually compete in CCL, which is an extremely hard tournament and where the competition just gets harder and harder, the further you get, do you have a better chance at hanging with it with someone like Victor Rodriguez who could potentially elevate you to that level? Or do you still like your chances uh, with Roldan at that spot who doesn't really play that position? I don't like, I don't know. To me, it seems pretty obvious that um, the, if you have, any, if you have any chance at making a legitimate run at it, you need the Rodriguez type in there and, and ready to go when CCL gets started. So uh, Lagerway Lager also made reference to two different rumors that had kind of been circulating out there. One of them was he, he kind of blew off almost the Nicholas Ladero rumor in that he said, this is more of the same stuff. Uh, he's a good player. Other teams want good players. We take this as a, a positive sign, but also said, Ladero told me he wanted to be here and that's good enough for me. I mean, that, and that was kind of the end of the story, I guess. Is that, do we buy that? That's, I, I, mean, I mostly buy every it. Time. That's what they say every time with these. This is like, it's like clockwork, man. Like the, the Ladero, every time uh, there's a window that comes up, uh, Ladero's, Ladero's name is right there. And, you know, I will say the, the man himself doesn't, uh, doesn't really squash those rumors. You know, he's always talking to <laughs> South American He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going back to Boca for sure. Everyone's like, what? He's like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, and then, uh, and then, it, like, it, then it doesn't happen and everyone kind of forgets about it. But I'm, I don't, I'm always like, man, like, shouldn't someone say something to him? Be like, you know, even if you want to go back to Boca or are at some point, like, don't, don't say it publicly. But uh, no, I don't know. I, I, I just think uh, we've, we've been down this road a few times and he's under contract with them through, is it 2021, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, in, in until until that expires, uh, or that it's impending, like, I I just think we're gonna keep doing this, and he's probably just gonna stay on the team. Yeah. So, my my bottom line on this is 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 some simple math. They paid uh you know what six million to get him in. They're paying him about two million dollars a year. Any team that wants to come in and grab him now, the Sounders are going to want to recoup a significant part of that back, you know, uh, at least of the transfer fee, if not the salary and overall investment. So is the, the question to ask, is there any team out there that's willing to pay six to eight million dollars, uh, especially a, a Boca or a Liga MX team? The answer is no. And until that changes, uh, this, this is not this is just a bunch of chatter, in my opinion. Um, you know, I'm sure there is interest, 100%. Yeah. But there's just no – the math does at this point does not work out to allow one of those teams to meet what the Sounders' asking price would be. Um, and so until there is some report out there that someone has actually submitted an offer, then there's really not anything uh, to, to discuss. And we're just going to be we'll, – we'll have the same conversation next year after um, MVP Ladero leads the Sounders to another right. It was novel the first time, but now on the no, seventh or eighth time, I'm just like, all right, I feel like we should all uh, – we should. No, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think that this is one of those things where you just kind of look at the numbers, and I think Ladero is almost certainly more valuable to the Sounders than he is to virtually any team in the world, frankly, because the Sounders are the only team that are built around his, frankly, unique skill set, which like, there just aren't a lot of number 10s that, that cover the ground that he covers and the centers are clearly kind of built around that whole, that whole, 
thing, although that does bring up, I suppose that that's another point in favor of finding another Victor Rodriguez type player because when you're missing Ladero, Rodriguez did not play the exact same role, but he at least filled an aspect of the role. He could approximate it at least to right. some degree, if to not the degree. running, the so, creativity. To me, that might even be the bigger problem that you need to figure out than who starts. It's like how you, how you position yourself to back up uh, Ladero. Uh, but the other big rumor that was out there, and, and it was really a short-lived rumor uh, in terms of the internet life of this thing, but uh, Garth Lagaway addressed it specifically about uh, supposedly that the Chicago Fire were coming after him. And in his lawyerly way, I think he did about as good of a job as he could in saying this is not happening. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was kind of the most thinly sourced rumor um, anyway. Um, I, I know there was some chatter in uh, – People basically drew inferences from Grant Wall's column and maybe an athletic column. Um, and then some people were tweeting about speculation is that Garth, uh, that the fire are coming after Garth. And he's but, from, that, that's like part of the. That's like the big like, piece, right? People would link him to that. Yeah. So, yeah and Chicago guy, Cubs fan, all that. Yeah. So it was just a bunch of, you know, kind of, uh, you know, suppositions and you know uh not even hearsay it was just it was just so thinly sourced uh as far as the action as far as them actually coming after him that it was just not, not anything i personally ever took um seriously at all and garth even less so i would say uh based on his comments um to jeremiah and the story you wrote is just there was it didn't seem like it was anything serious nelson rodriguez who is fairly maligned out there um uh, i mean that not it the, his malignment is fair, but that he gets, uh, you know, he's getting a lot of criticism out there um, is just, there's no indication that uh, anything is going on there. Um, Rodriguez still has the job. Um, whether or not he keeps it is another issue. They did fire, you know, Ponovic, their, their head coach, and they bought out Hauptman. And, you know, obviously they, we they, talked a little about they uh, went nuclear on their whole staff. They were, they were firing the massage therapist. They were firing <laughs> the equipment guy. Like I was looking at the list of everyone that they fired. And some of it was just like, why, why do you have to, why do you have to fire the massage guy? Like but they kept the graphic play? designer apparently. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, we can talk about that in a second, but yes, just to finish up on um, Rodriguez, it's just, you know, it may be there may be a time when uh, Rodriguez is is ousted from the fire. I would not be shocked about that based on um, his performance to date, both on you know managing the team on the field and off with the, all of the uh, you know fire supporter uh, issues that have been going on. Let's not forget he's being sued by uh, one of those supporters, and that lawsuit's still going on. Um, and so, you know, again, he, there may be a time when he is no longer a part of the fire organization, um, but until that happens. Um, you, Garth isn't going to say anything about it for the reasons that he he outlined in your story. Yeah, yeah. I, I have uh, just two things to say about this. I mean, just fundamentally, it seemed like to me like less of a actual rumor based on stuff that could be going on and more like just an idea that people can't like, yeah. oh, the fire are in transition and they just fired their whole staff. Maybe Nelson Rodriguez will get fired and Garth Lagerway is from Chicago. So maybe he'll go take the job. I don't well, like I, but and then uh, the the only other thing I uh, took away from this is that I was able to get a couple good puns in my article on MLSsoccer.com. Well done, by the way. It. Yeah, uh, got those ones by the editors. They uh, they let me keep them in there, and uh, 
I, I think they were pretty good. I was happy about it. So if you want to go read that on MLSsoccer.com, it's up there today. And you can go check it out. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's good content. So that's basically what I have to say about the, the logger way to the Chicago Fire rumors. Yeah, it was – I would say that from a – like you take the – real facts out of the case and you just look at the broad facts and it makes a certain amount of sense billionaire new owner looking to like who better to revive the fire brand than a local guy who also happens to be arguably the best gm in mls history than yeah. you know and so from that perspective it made sense and you could theoretically see how uh this guy might be willing to pay over maybe even overpay to bring garth in uh and you would imagine that you know, apparently Garth has three years left on his contract, but he also made a pretty strong case. And I thought that this was pretty compelling was his, he's like, just likes it here. Like his family likes it here. He feels settled here. You know, he was joking after MLS cup that uh, he considers himself a local because he's got a kid who was born here. And uh, you know, those are just aren't things like, I don't think Garth is looking for a way out. Um, It's an interesting idea to kind of let swim around in your head. Uh, you know, we kind of got similarly when he came in, we kind of got similarly excited about, oh, this means the Sunders are going to get a new stadium because Adrian's going to focus on doing that, uh, which never came to fruition, obviously, either. But um, it's an interesting thought. It's a thought, interesting thought exercise. But you're right. There's I don't think there's anything to this. And there was never really anything to it, aside no. from some supposed insiders on places like Chicago Fire Reddit saying, like, oh, it's happening. Um, that's where I get all my. Yeah, uh, exactly. That's where you get. It. They, they should focus more on the designs of their new uh, their new kits and uh, you know yeah. rumors about uh, uh, incoming uh, personnel changes. Well, you you bring it up. So, do you have any hot hot takes on the Chicago Fire new uh, new brand? Ari's more the hot take guy, so I'm going to defer to him. No, I feel I. I... I feel bad for their social media team. Everyone should stop racing them. I think they, I think they know the situation. It's tough to see today. You know, I they, they've been getting ethered into the abyss, and uh, you know, I, I get it, but it's, I don't know. It's, it's I mean, it's, I it's been tough. It has been. I guess, I guess, I can see where you're coming from on that. I'm a little less sympathetic in this way because I'm, I just don't. It wasn't like they didn't see it coming. They could have seen it coming. It was when this thing has been circulating, this idea has been circulating for months. We've seen other failed kind of like they were, they were supposedly thinking about getting rid of the whole Chicago fire name. Yeah. They were thinking about all these different rebrands. There's been a million different ideas that have been thrown out there, but this specific one has been circulating for at least a month or so. And people have been flipping out about it ever since then. And you know, I guess they're trying to lean into this idea that its power is in its simplicity and that it's supposed to be easily replicated and that a child could draw it is somehow its power. And I guess the symbol by itself, if you take it out of the oval, maybe you could buy into that. Uh, but man, it just feels like such a face plant. And, the, and the, I feel like the brand was one of the things that people weren't dying to see fixed. Like the brand was reasonably strong when you consider that they'd been so bad that they'd been playing in a stadium that no one wanted to go to, that they'd been playing for an owner who everyone in the market seemed to hate. And they fixed all this stuff 
and they just couldn't help themselves to like address this other thing too. Yeah. I mean, you know, the fire, as you've just laid out quite well, have had a bunch of issues uh, basically since they got to Bridgeview. Um, yeah. They've been pretty terrible since 2008 uh, or so. Um, and things really hit rock bottom uh, over the last you know year and a half. Um, even Schweinsteiger, you know, they had that blip in 2017 where they managed yeah. to make the playoffs, um, but then got bounced out in short order. And that playoff game only had like 12,000 people attend. And then, you know, attendance was just really awful this year. And so, as you say, they've done some good things to try to mitigate that by bouncing the owner and moving back to Chicago proper. Uh, and then they come and do this and seemingly undo, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the goodwill that they had started to to create. Um, and then just from, you know, I have no problem per se. I don't live there, so I'm not, and I'm not a fan of the team. So uh, I'm not going to speak to whether they should have uh, rebranded or not. Um, you know, it, it may have been a good idea um, given some of the issues they've had with the fire uh, name and the SEO and the search and, you know, the Chicago fire uh, show and all that kind of stuff. So that's fine. <laughs> so that's fine to deal with, uh, to, to kind of mitigate. But then you just come with this design, which just seems like just such a swing and a miss. Um, and it just, it, it seems like an, it's an own goal, really. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a, you know, to, to use a soccer metaphor, it's, a, it's an own goal in just coming up with a design that hardly anyone seems to like. I don't actually even mind the colors, even if it is kind of a, you know, an a, a approximation of RS, RSL. Um, but the logo for me just, just did not, it just doesn't work. It, it's just a hard no on, on that design. And you can't like change it now. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Leeds United managed to pull it. Like this is, I, I keep... they, they should rebrand again. They should, <laughs> right. they should well, rebrand the rebrand. Right. And I guess that's the challenge. So, you know, if you remember a few years ago, Leeds United tried to change their crest and they came up with something that was hideous and boring and awful and the and they publicly released it and their fans just went ape shit and they were not going to have it and Leeds just went back to the original crest now and that but we they're a team with 100 years of history so yeah. maybe it made a little bit more sense for them to go back just go back to it and you know maybe in 10 years they'll revisit a refresh of some sort but you're right i i think the problem with this one is this is the fire clearly want to do a rebrand and they can't just redo the rebrand. Like they, they, like, I don't think they can go back. Like they can't just go back to their old logo because that defeats the whole purpose of this exercise. And they're not going to scrap this thing that they came up with. Uh, so they might be stuck with this and uh, three Klansmen in a lake, I guess. Yeah. Is the, uh, <laughs> at least they're at least a palette. It's a color palette and not black and white. Maybe, right. they, should, maybe they should rebrand the rebrand. I'm I like, you know, if, the response has been so bad. Like, maybe it would be better from a PR standpoint at this point to be like, "All right, you know, we uh, we've uh, recognized." We listen your, to the fans. We've recognized your feedback on this, and uh, like, we want to uh, include our supporters on picking what our new uh, brand or logo is going to be. And we've come up with other ideas, and we can uh, make this an interactive process. I don't know. It's just been like all day on MLS Twitter, just everyone clowning on the fire i've tried not to uh participate too much. too much other than the uh photoshop that danny siasiao made of uh the new logo with my uh a memorial to my 
uh, phone, which got stolen when I was on the Chicago trip, uh, when the Sounders played there this year. <laughs> my phone in Chicago. So we photoshopped the logo and then put a little iPhone in it. So I, uh, I, I, I went with that a little bit, but I, I'm not, uh, I'm not tweeting at the fire account. They've had a tough enough day. So are you guys hearing any rumblings outside of the normal channels? I'm not going to ask you to name names, but you both are reasonably well connected. Are you hearing, uh, what, what's the response that you're hearing at people who don't want to be public with uh, their either support or criticism of this? Oh, I mean, everything I've seen and talked to people about has just been pretty much what you've seen on. Okay. <laughs> that's the thing yeah. that's killing yeah. me about no, this. No one, no one's, well, it's funny. I'm on a, I'm on a, group chat with some people and uh that you know the reaction was pretty much pretty much like that but i i, I was like kind of issuing the contrarian hot take that i liked it and thought it was good but like as as a joke but it was over text so they didn't really get it and people were like is this the hill you're dying on man like i don't know about this and i was like no nah, man i was being sarcastic like I, I talked to the same people, uh, uh, Jeremiah, you probably did, uh, just uh, locally. And, you know, again, it's just something that no one seems to be impressed with outside oh. of the Chicago front office. Uh, the thing is, it, you know, they apparently focus group this thing um, over yeah. the course of 18 months. And that is apparently what they, they thought was going to go over well. I don't know how that was, how they could have come to that conclusion. Um, yep, they don't release the results of focus groups like that and stuff. So uh, who knows, you know, to what extent, uh, you know, the positive feedback they got on it was. But uh, I don't know. It's 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 just really tough. It's 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 not good, um, you know, and it just seems like again such such a bad uh, mistake. And you know, they, you know, the the Sounders changed their name when they were coming into MLS after the, uh, after the chosen names or the, yeah, the, yeah, the list of names didn't include the sounders on it. And so they kind of changed course on that. But again, that's just the name, you know, six months before the, uh, the launch of the team. So I don't know what they can do now having already released at the fire. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll, I, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a mess. Uh, and I don't know that there is a, I mean, I guess it's a mess and you just, like you take the L, I guess, and yeah. you and you move on, and you hope that eventually your results, uh, you know, if they, and who, we're not like let's not fool ourselves. If they start winning and they're filling and they're and they're bringing in thirty thousand fans to Soldier Field, no yeah. one's really going to care about this crest. I just feel like it's such an own. It's like like you said, it's an own goal. They didn't have to. Re, no one was making them do this rebrand, yeah. and they, you know, I thought that the biggest failure in this was that they hired a, a apparently an LA design firm to do this logo and Chicago has like more agencies than any other city in the country other, outside of New York I would imagine and why would you not hire like how could you not hire a local yeah a local agency and that was you know in, you know you talked to one of the things I will share that the that people at the sounder said is like if they were to ever redo their crest they would say well of course we have to go local like we have so much design talent in this city. Why would we not like, why would we not incorporate that? Who would be, how could we like overlook that the people who best understand what we're going for are going to be locals themselves yeah. because that's who we're really selling this to. Uh, and you know, people from the outside can criticize it all they want, but it's really, how do Chicago fire fans feel about this? And that's probably the biggest failure. Yeah. 
Chicago fans seem to be the most upset. Um, well, and they're going to be the ones that buy that stuff, as you as you point out, right. or at least the majority of it. Right. The, the, the fire have been getting getting dragged all day, and we dragged them a little bit. So I will I will say, uh, Here we you go. know, I kind of I kind of think about. Remember the whole Zulily thing? First of all, like yeah, how, I was how about money that. coming in. You're right. Like everyone, that was like a two week controversy. With yeah, the that's true. Everyone was like complaining about Zulily, and you know, I was saying the whole time like people are going to forget about it right away and sure enough as soon as the game started yeah did you hear one word about Zulily the entire season once the game started no like no. so hopefully for the fire that's what happens with them and people just kind of forget about it and also like the other thing I'll say uh you know when I went to the game in Chicago this year that you know they were in, in Bridgeview obviously at that point and it was it was like a pretty sad scene as far as there was like you know, the announced attendance was like 10,000. I don't think it was anywhere close to that. Uh, the apathy around the team and just like the logistical challenges of getting out there for games were just really putting them in a bad spot. And they've been kind of backed into that corner for years now because they paid all that money to have that stadium built in Bridgeview and uh, they couldn't they couldn't get out. And I just remember leaving that trip and being like, they, like, I know it's going to cost a a ton of money to buy out of the lease there or whatever to to get out but like I I, I just remember thinking they need to pay whatever that fee is <laughs> so they can go back to like playing in a stadium that's like actually in Chicago and they finally did that this year and they moved to Soldier Field and I think that's going to be great for them because yeah it's going to just incentivize people way more to actually go to the game so hopefully for them yeah. They, that actually acts as the boon that they think it will for getting people back interested in the team. And, and with that, you know, maybe they sign some guys and can compete more and everyone will forget all about what we've talked about. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll say this, this is uh, the, the, the kit is probably the least of their concerns. Yeah. Uh, yeah that's totally like they need, they need a way to just distract yeah. everyone from what's going on with the team. But <laughs> there we go. That's smart PR. Right. Exactly. Uh, well, that's probably a good place to call it. Uh, I don't know what the, there, there is some deadlines coming up in terms of the off-season schedule. There is going to be some movement. I would imagine we'll have plenty to talk about uh, relatively soon. But we wanted to, to at least strike while the iron was hot on these bits of news that came out recently. Uh, I'm Jeremiah Shan signing off for Ari Lillian-Wall and Mickey Turner. Uh, this is the Sounder at, Heart, uh, the Sounder at Heart podcast, and uh, we'll see you next time.